0: Hello and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Careers, the podcast where we discuss multi hyphenates, dig deep into hustle culture, and find hobbies to fill the time in between Zoom meetings. We're your hosts, Austin, Mallory, and Catherine. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. New episode. I'm Austin Mark, Pulitzer Prize winner and sandwich artist.
1: I'm Mallory Kaufman, champagne saber coach,
2: aspiring tie dye artist, and Web MD zoologist. Mm. I'm Katherine Peach, unpaid IT technician and birthday unicorn. Ooh, happy birthday,
0: Katherine. Yeah.
1: Let's just keep celebrating until this episode
0: comes
2: out. Yeah. Perfect. Never not
0: celebrating. A one-month birthday unicorn. <laughs> It'll be your next birthday by the time we actually launch this. <laughs> That's true.
2: I'm going to say I want to. I'll finally be turning 40. Hooray.
0: <laughs> Well, we are really excited. We have a different kind of episode for you this week. Uh, We actually have an interview with someone that we know and love. This week, we are doing an interview with Brittany Crockett. We wanted to talk to Brittany because she is currently a director of partner development and licensing for a startup, as well as a senior account executive for a communications company. So she definitely fits into our definition of multi-hyphenate. I guess we can ask her if she feels like she is a multi-hyphenate, but we're really happy to have her. So this is a different type of episode for us.
1: Hey, Brittany, I'm so happy that you're here. Actually, you're our very first interview of the podcast. So we're really, really excited to not only launch into this type of episode structure, but also to start with somebody who's so awesome. And I feel like I know that because I've not only known you for what now is coming on almost 10 years, but also I got to live with you. We were roommates for three of those 10 years. So I
3: feel really lucky that you've said yes to joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I wasn't nervous before, but I'm <laughs> super nervous about this situation, <laughs> but I feel super honored that you guys chose me as your first guest and definitely like unworthy of <laughs> the title, but I appreciate you guys making time for me and kind of just going through this adventure together. But yeah, um, obviously lived with Mallory for three years. They were three wonderful, <laughs> exciting <laughs> Adventurous years in mid-city. And um, we had our lovely neighbor and makeup connect, Austin, who was always around for a good time. So yeah, I'm glad that we are able to have this conversation. And I feel
1: like the nerves make sense. That's always what happens to me, too. It's like all of a sudden you're talking into the void, and you're like, oh my God, Words have escaped <laughs> what's happening me. What's happening? I think the fun question to start with, just because especially when we were talking in the lead up to getting you here, and then kind of after we went through some of the nuances of what we're doing, were you familiar with the term multi-hyphenate before coming onto to this podcast? Absolutely
3: not. Like not even a little bit. I'm not going to even act like, yeah, no, I had no idea. I thought it was like, you know, hypochondriac or something. I, like, I don't know. I really thought about it.
0: That's our other podcast. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Like I wouldn't uh, self-diagnose myself, but maybe. But no, yeah. I mean, when you sit and actually think about the word, it's very self-explanatory. So it was funny after you gave me the description. I was like, oh, yeah. That, that's what multi-hyphenate means. Yep. So,
0: so now that you've figured it out or had it figured out for you, what would you describe your current multi-hyphenate description to be?
3: I wouldn't say I was a multi-hyphenate in the in what I would think the terms of multi-hyphenate was traditionally, like a bartender, hyphen, actor, hyphen, bouncer. But I am a comm specialist, hyphen, director of partner development, hyphen- licensing specialist. I know that we talked about what the definition of a multi-hyphenate was Mallory earlier. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, like in my whole career, I could say I was a broadcast journalist hyphen campaign manager hyphen communication specialist hyphen. Cause I do have that background and spent enough time doing all of those careers that I could define myself as such.
1: I think you qualify. And what I think is kind of fun about your answer and is something that i feel like katie and austin and i i assume it resonates with both of us too because it's sort of a weird word to wiggle yourself into because you're not necessarily wanting to claim agency over everything all the time that maybe is of your past or even understanding fully all the power that you have in your working life and what's kind of cool about this term in particular is that it starts to expand this idea that you are more than just one title right. or one job. Right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> And it's also like, we've talked a little bit about this too, of which of your hyphenates do you bring up at what times? Like in a social situation, it might be easier for me to say, oh, I'm a makeup artist and I build doll furniture. Right, But in a job situation... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking about this the other day, The or I was thinking about this on the drive here. In our first episode, I described myself as a makeup artist and miniaturist, and then I just described miniaturist as like, I make small things, <laughs> but I didn't ever explain what the small things were. So if anyone is still here four episodes later, I make doll furniture. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that thing is, which I guess I didn't describe very well in the first place.
1: <laughs> Cliff hanger, Austin Thank everybody you. was
3: waiting for you to go back Resultions. deeper into detail they with really that that's why they were hanging what on is it? what
0: is it oh my god I better get to <laughs> But Yeah. Episode. so I mean it, it can be difficult to describe your multi-hyphenate especially because we're not I mean we aren't in a traditional trio of Hollywood careers where you can say I'm an actor, dancer, singer and those things make sense that, right. to go together and they describe you as a person a lot of the time, and what it is that you do for a living. But I think in our situation, it can be a little bit more difficult. Which of these things do I claim, and which ones do I leave out, and how does it all fit together?
3: Yeah, for sure. I concur 100%. And I don't necessarily, I mean, I guess I. we've been in quarantine for seven months, and I haven't been introducing myself to folks lately, <laughs> but... <laughs> but yeah, I know, but I feel like I generally would tell people that I work I have a comms background and keep it pretty general because I felt like prior to this current position that kind of summed up my experience whether it's political comms, you know, broadcast comms, it's all kind of comms and so if they would inquire deeper I would go into detail, but I would just say I was in comms and now I feel like I've built up my experience to a place where I should go into a detail because I think that those things give me a lot more value and make mm-hmm. me a lot more well-rounded. Maybe not in social settings, but it definitely if I'm trying to sell myself for another opportunity.
2: <laughs> I feel like it's always tough in social settings. I sometimes really hesitate to say that I'm a writer because, of course, the dreaded question is like, oh, have you written anything I would have read? Which is Really just trying to quantify, like, are you a good writer? Like, well, I don't know how to maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Like, right. Like, have you heard of a little publication called the New York Times? Well, I've never appeared in it, but it's excellent. That's what I'm aiming Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I think a piece of it I've been thinking about as you were talking to is also claiming things that maybe are in your past or behind you that have built The foundation for where you are but it is weird to be like journalist broadcaster if that's not something that is consuming time right now but I do think we are kind of using the term to encapsulate kind of all tenses past present and hopefully some future goals too and so that's really what in our definition of the term we're departing the Hollywood claim on it and entering this other space where we want to Get more people under the umbrella and dissect the term so that it does feel applicable to people that maybe previously wouldn't have thought of themselves as a multi-hyphen or didn't understand the term and so didn't really think about maybe some of the power in being proud of all the paths you've walked and maybe the fact that you work mm-hmm. multiple
3: jobs. I feel like I'm the type of person who really defines themselves by their work and so I also find myself in a place where mm-hmm. if I say like yeah I'm a broadcast journalist slash I'm like mm, am I like we talked about before, imposter syndrome. Like, am I a broadcast journalist? Can I say I'm a broadcast Could I ever say I was a broadcast journalist? Because I was never on the news. Granted, I worked in, you know, journalism and I worked in the field. I feel like when you say broadcast journalist, people just assume that you're on television. They're like, oh, what channel were you on? Or, oh, you were a reporter? And I'm like, no, I was an assignment editor. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe I should just say assignment editor, like, you know, and it makes you think about those things. So I... I don't think I have ever said I was a broadcast journalist or not, at least not recently, just because of that, just because of that point. Like, yeah, yeah. you should be able to claim that in your past. I spent five years at and and a year before that at Network and ever really claim myself as a broadcast journalist. And they say when you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you are an expert in it. Expert. Exactly. So I definitely spent 10,000 hours doing broadcast journalism. So I should definitely learn and figure out how to weave that into my story a bit more.
1: Well, and even the metaphor of that, just because I, I have the same work, we work together. That's another piece, I guess. I don't know if I included in the intro,
3: but for sure,
1: when you mention it, it can walk this like fine line, maybe like what you just said, Catherine, where it's like fun to say, Oh, yes," But then also as people (laughs) probe, you're like, no, 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 none of those apply. (laughs) And so when to bring it up or how to bring it up is a little tricky because I do think right now in particular, I've been leaning into those skills. We're doing all virtual events at the job that I'm working currently, which is for a nonprofit. And it's, been amazing to realize that the skills I gained in production and kind of behind the scenes and storytelling, they're super powerfully important at this moment because no one on my team had those skills. They have other amazing skills, journalistic skills too, but yeah, it's been really interesting to all of a sudden be like reaching way back to the beginning and being like, oh, okay, cool. I'm really glad that this this experience is um, informing something later down the line. It wasn't a total waste of my time oh, for sure. <laughs>
3: For sure. I feel like I've seen that more now because I'm working at a startup and you know, in these positions, I feel like you are forced to kind of dig into your toolbox and like use everything that you've ever learned to be able to be as helpful as you possibly can, especially like we have a super small team. So we're all wearing a bunch of different hats. And so it's like, where can you show up in this moment? Like, what tools do you have? What knowledge do you have on this and that and the other? And I realized I had a lot more knowledge than I thought I did. I'm like, Oh my God,
2: I could totally do that. Yeah, no, I'll do it. I'd love to hear more, since this is really my first time meeting you, um, what it is you're doing currently. And it sounds like you have two roles. So I'd love to hear how you balance those. As you mentioned, I
3: have two positions that I'm working in right now. One is full-time and one is a consulting position. And the company I'm consulting for, I actually worked with them prior to moving to London. I moved to London for a couple of years. And so I worked with them for a year. And then while I was in London, they continued to send me projects and I've kind of worked with them on specific projects for the last four years. And so with that company, I do political and advocacy communications. So a lot of PR consulting for companies, mostly nonprofit, whether it's PR or media and crisis management. And then... The full-time job is a social equity firm. So essentially we are a startup. The premise of our our company was essentially they were legalizing cannabis in Los Angeles and built in social equity legislation. And so that legislation had qualifications for a certain group of people and considered people who were disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, who made less than $45,000. And and the city asked stakeholders what they thought this would mean for the communities. And our CEO saw it as an opportunity to invest in individuals who wanted this opportunity and not just invest in helping them get the licensing or helping them go through paperwork, et cetera, but like building them up as individuals so that they could be the best owner operators. So we train those individuals and do leadership and personal development training and then help them essentially apply for these social equity licenses. So within that company, I am um, the director of partner development and licensing. So how do I manage both (laughs) of those jobs? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) How does anyone manage anything in quarantine? It's like, I don't know even really how to answer that question, but I feel like I work entirely way too much. And I feel like I've thrown myself into my work to distract me from what would likely be loneliness. So I do live by myself and quarantine is real and I'm not one of those people who are out there risking my life to have some fun or see a bunch of people. So I've just found myself working a lot and what's has allowed me to continue these these two jobs. Some days are better than others. It's like sometimes I want to cry. Sometimes I don't get any sleep, but I'm just, I'm juggling both of them because with my full-time job um, because of quarantine and other things. We took half of the pay cut and just this last week we were furloughed. So I don't really have a choice at this point and I'm very grateful that I have this other opportunity.
1: Did you dive into the other opportunity during quarantine? Did this come back around recently or when you moved back from London,
3: when I moved back from London, they asked me to be involved in a project. Um, I worked on that project, and it ended in June. Yeah, and then the CEO of the company asked if I wanted to be a part of it. And so at that time, I we had already been in quarantine, and I already knew that I was taking half a pay cut. And I was like, it'd be nice just to have some cushion. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, you know, it was going to be ten to fifteen hours. It's been much more than ten to fifteen hours. However, like now, it's not my cushion; it's mine it's my income so right yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's so multi-hyphenate
0: it really is I think a really I think it's fascinating how for so many of us the multi-hyphenate experience is a lot more fluid especially lately where the job market is so volatile that we're looking at a situation where sometimes our side gig becomes our main gig and sometimes you know those things Mm -hmm. are just Switching on and off all the time, and we find ourselves really grateful for these backup skills, backup hobbies, backup whatever, that when your main source of income or your industry even disappears, like it has for me, in a big way, what I do for a living has changed completely, especially the way that I was doing it. My career for a really long time has been working in makeup, but also in a retail setting and that whole thing is almost non-existent like in most places you can't do makeup in a store anymore so I'm having to figure out what sides of my knowledge base and my skill set can make me money now when your industry almost ceases to exist overnight
3: yeah that's that's super real and I had no idea I mean I had a inkling that this was coming just because I know we're a startup. I know that we were struggling financially as it was. And I'm definitely like, Mallory, you know me, like I like to have a lot of things and like I I have to have something else going. Like I have to have a backup plan. Even though I was already working so much, I knew that I was going to have to do something else to make sure I was okay because I just didn't have the security that I needed with this current state of Our lives.
2: Yeah, I feel like we've we've talked about side gigs in the zeitgeist for a little while now, myself included. My title is not the same since March, and having that backup, or even having that like room to grow, of like you were saying, um, fall on some old skill sets that you maybe hadn't thought about in a while and dust those off because it's absolutely needed in this trash fire of a (laughs) (laughs) comedy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I love to know where people sort of began their work journeys. Did you have specific early career goals? Like, did you think you knew what you wanted to be?
3: I sure did. I thought I was going to be an anchor woman. And I was (laughs) so dead set on that. Why? I don't know. I didn't have like an idol Or anybody that I, I mean, I love Robin Roberts, but like, like my cousin, she wanted to be an anchor woman, but she like grew up watching Robin Roberts when she was in Good Morning America and when she was on ESPN. And I don't feel like I had that, but I did work in this program called Communication Central in high school. And then when I was in college, I worked on our school's TV station. So honestly, I actually, now that I say it out loud, I think I was probably following my cousin a little bit. Yeah. So those were her dreams. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just being a follower, (laughs) but I was pretty good at it if I do say so myself and I really enjoyed it. And so I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I feel like All these dreams and all the excitement of being in news, et cetera, it was just like shattered when I got into the newsroom because it was such a toxic environment. And you see how the sausage is made and then it makes you not want sausage, you know? It was super toxic. There was so much politics and, you know, I made my, I made my reel and I did the thing and I even went out to Tennessee and was looking to work at a new station there. I got hired there and then I was like, I'm going to live in Tennessee. <laughs> and it wasn't like, it wasn't like Nashville and, and I'm a city, like I'm a city girl. Like I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Denver. And I mean, I think that me and my willingness not to do that just showed me, that I may not have wanted it as much as I thought I did. And so I kind of pivoted and I was on the assignment desk for a little bit. And that was, I have PTSD, but it was a good experience, (laughs) but it was, it was a lot, it was very toxic and just the climate of the newsroom. And I guess it's not every newsroom because I have friends who work at a bunch of different newsrooms and they say that they're more welcoming, but ours specifically was very toxic. And there was a level of hierarchy where they made sure you knew where you landed on that. And coming out as a new college graduate, they treated me like I was shit on their shoe. (laughs) And Like having to go through that and build my own contacts because they wouldn't share contacts, et cetera. And then the pay discrepancy, like I was not, you know, even when I was on the desk by myself handling all the work, I was not getting paid nearly as much as they were. They (laughs) were able to rationalize that because I was an early graduate. It literally took away years of my life and I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't, there was no upward trajectory. So... I, I needed to get out. I needed to change. And so the opportunity came for me to get into politics. And I actually, I, what I didn't say is when I started my broadcast journey, I was at the political unit in Washington, D.C. And I, my family is very political. So I, I was very interested in politics early on. And so the opportunity to work on a political campaign, especially for someone who was a friend of mine, and I was passionate about his work and what he was doing in the community. Um, that was, that was a definitely a transition point in my life.
1: I feel like everything that Brittany, you just said, I almost had to take a pause. Cause I feel like you've described a situation that's been alluded to already in a couple episodes from my experience, but also was Evident um, that you were making the situation at the newsroom maybe as best as it could be. You were taking advantage of a situation that, as you just described, maybe you were slowly finding out wasn't what you had dreamed of or perhaps wasn't even your dream at all. But... I feel like when I met you, when we were working there together, the thing that stood out to me was just the drive that you had and your ability to make the best out of a situation. And when we talked earlier, we really realized your advocacy and your work in advocacy had the seeds were laid in the newsroom.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think when you watch the news and when you, especially when you're working in the news and you see... What sells when you see, you know, when it bleeds, it leads. And when you see people in the newsroom actively hoping for a specific outcome because it will sell their story, even if that outcome is in the detriment of somebody's life or you know, stabilization or health or whatever, that always really hurt me. And so whenever I had the opportunity, I would push for the stories that someone might look over or might not think was worthy of coverage or might not have the headline or might not get the, you know, the retweets, et cetera, but actually mm-hmm. meant something positive for a community. And sometimes, those were things that I didn't even realize would have the outcomes that they had. And I know I mentioned when we spoke earlier about a situation where I had several calls from a community letting us know that, you know, their streetlights were out and there was copper wire being stolen from the streetlights on a regular basis. They had told DWP and nobody was coming out to fix them. And they were like, you know, if this was Beverly Hills, this would have been fixed an hour ago. You know, we can, Mm -hmm. I feel unsafe. I have to get to work. Like there were several people calling me to the point where I was like, we have to do this story. And even our, our camera our cameraman and our our reporter, and it's my responsibility to protect them. But they were like, I don't know, like, I don't want to go into, if they're scared of their own neighborhood, like, I don't necessarily want to go over there and report this story. And I'm like, you know what, go get some B-roll, go live somewhere else. But we're telling the story because if they're calling and nothing's happening, we have to be their voice. That's literally what we're here to do. That is our job. So we ended up doing the story and I had like several handwritten letters the next week from this community just thanking me for like making sure that we did the story and that they turned the lights on and they wouldn't have turned the lights on if we hadn't done the story. And it was like little things like that pushed me to continue on that journey, I was like, I, you know, if I can make, if I can make a difference, then I can stay in this job because it gives me some purpose, you know, all the shit that I'm dealing with from my colleagues, etc. like those little gems were the things that made it worth it. And I feel like that was kind of the beginning. And then I didn't really evolve into like purposeful advocacy until I started working on the political campaign where, you know, I was really in the community. I was in Compton and Watts. Um, I was walking the streets every day. I was meeting community leaders and really like learning about the issues that were plaguing these communities, like the cyclical issues, even though, you know, I went to undergrad and I, you know, I took my AFAM classes and you hear things on the news until you're in it, until you see it, like it just hits you Differently. And I was in Watson Compton every single day for a year. And so that's when I realized that there was a need for advocacy and for me to put justice work at the forefront of my life. even it even if I didn't necessarily know like what my next step was, I feel like that was always kind of in the back of my head that it had to have some type of purpose or some type of meaning. So when I was working, With political and advocacy comms, I had an opportunity to get my master's. I found a a program that was race, media, and social justice. And so it was like taking the media of my broadcast background and Mm -hmm. my newfound social justice interest and put it all together. And it was an opportunity for me to live abroad. It's just like continued to kind of be weaved into making me who I am as a person and what is important to me. And so even in my current role, like I was not looking for necessarily an advocacy job, but people, you know, knowing my background, someone reached out and was like, listen, we just started this company. I feel like this position would be perfect for you. And it is, and it is so purposeful. And I mean, obviously right now, like I'm furloughed, but I still work my ass off because I care, I care about what I'm doing. And I know that the impact of it all is so much bigger than me making whatever money that I need to make right now. Like, as long as I can pay my rent, I'm good for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I work hard. I work hard and I love hard. And those are like the two things that I feel like are my North Star. And so if I love my work, then like I'm basically unstoppable.
1: That's a bumper sticker,
3: <laughs> I feel like.
1: But also I what you're saying feels resonant. And I hope for all three of us, I think it is, because I I saw in you the advocacy early on. And I also feel like what you've described could be in my own words, the same exact experience I had from like trying to get out of that first gig and realizing maybe this wasn't where my heart's work was meant to be, but in kind of working there, I realized I need to move in this direction and slowly started pushing in a new place. And then it wasn't honestly until last year when I got the job that I'm working at now in combination with having my own agency that I really felt like, holy crap, I studied critical theory, social justice. I've worked in comms. I've done PR. Um, now I'm landing back in a place where I feel like I'm going to use what had propelled me in my studies and was kind of my heart's work at the beginning of what I thought when I, you know, Catherine and Austin can laugh at this, but when I was like, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer. This is the path is laid ahead. (laughs) So I love hearing that. I don't know. It feels like maybe resonant for all three of us too.
3: I also think it's really interesting how, I mean, I don't know if you would say this. I would say this looking in at your, at your journey, but I don't know if you would say this for yourself, but I feel like for me personally, like the universe has pushed me in this direction. Like none, none of it was forced and some things happened that I was like, so upset about or so bummed about but it gave me whatever I was missing to move to this next thing which has developed me so much more and put me in such a better position and it's like everything has kind of just like molded together to get me to where I am now and this isn't even necessarily exactly where I feel like I want to be for forever Mm -hmm. but I think it's perfect for right now.
2: I can relate to using having these kind of odd jobs. I, I've had a lot of odd jobs throughout the years and or side gigs. And then now, working for myself, I've been able to pull these other skill sets that I really never thought would come together. And I relate to that winding road of like finding myself here in a place that I didn't necessarily expect to be. but exactly. for now, this is the path to be on. And I'd love to circle back to I know we talked earlier about how you felt pushed to be a leader and working with other people to teach them how to like leadership skills is also so necessary. I'd really love to hear how your own path to competence and and being a leader in your life, whether maybe that wasn't in your job title, but I feel like there's always room to be a leader. My leadership journey has been
3: like, not my own. Like I didn't say, hey, I want to lead. I want to do X, Y, and Z. You know, I feel like I am the leader to push you through. I hate speaking in crowds. I hate speaking in front of people, period. Like if it's more than two people, I feel like I'm having like a mini feeling. seizure. Um, and <laughs> no. yeah, like legit, like legitimately, <laughs> like I black out, like it's, 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 it's real life. And, um, and I forget what I'm saying and all the things I hate it. And I am a workhorse. And so I can be in the background I don't need any of the accolades or attention. I am fine, you know, doing the grunt work to make sure that it gets done and then other people standing on stage at the end. Like I, I was cool with that position. But for whatever reason, people continue to push me to be the person in front against like my wishes. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously uh-huh. I didn't necessarily want that. For example, like when I worked on the political campaign, you know, I was the office manager and I came in there and I, Never worked on a political campaign like that before. You know, my friend was running for the first time and he was a very special candidate, but, you know, still very new to it. And I am very organized. That's one thing I'll say. I'm very organized. And so- Taurus. Yes, exactly. I don't think he had anybody on his team that was kind of just like doing the things that he needed to do that was organized, that was moving things forward. And so I came in as the office manager and kind of got every, like whooped the op- office into shape, like started organizing the team, the field versus the phones and et cetera. And he was like, you're going to be my manager if we win. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what do, what do I have to do? Like. <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> Google
3: campaign, campaign manager. Like, what does that mean? And like literally like Googled campaign manager and sat down with my brother who, as I mentioned, you know, works in politics and was like, I don't help me. Like, what do I do? And <laughs> I put up a whole bunch of folders together and, and just dove into it and was flying the plane while trying to build it. And it was good for me because it took me completely out of my comfort zone. And also, I realized that I was smarter and stronger than I thought I was because it took me out of my comfort zone, because it was something that I wouldn't naturally do by myself. And now I feel like I am super comfortable. I'm super confident. I ask for the things that I want that I'm not getting. You know, I put my foot down. If I don't agree with something, I'll speak up. And I just feel like I have, like, I have a seat at the table and I didn't want, I was avoiding it. And I feel like I was avoiding that because I, was scared of the pressure of failing. And when you put it, when you are a leader, when you are someone that, you know, is leading a team or whatever, like if something doesn't work, if something doesn't happen that was supposed to happen, it's usually on you. And I didn't want that responsibility. I'm mm-hmm. a people pleaser and I, my boss said I'm I'm an A plus student. I told you guys like I was definitely a B <laughs> student, but I definitely do work hard and I want to get the end result. I am a competitor, I am a winner. And in not seeing everything to come to fruition, that I feel like defines me as a person. And so I think I was avoiding putting myself into those positions in fear of failure. So I have been pushed into that position and I haven't failed yet. So now it's just like, I feel like it's kind of unlocked this world for me. Like now I'm like, Oh, I could I could do anything.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think to that point, it's actually very lucky that we were put in these really scary situations that we didn't think we could handle that really forced us to be brave and take on things that we didn't think that we could. And it, ends up changing your entire perspective, forcing you to be an advocate for yourself. Like the last time Brittany and I saw each other in person, we were both in London. I'm not going to air your dirty laundry, but to be not specific about it, you had just gone through an earth-shattering, upsetting personal life situation and... You had come to London, been there for a really short period of time, flown back home to the States and didn't know if you were going to come back and start your master's program.
3: That's right. I was I was in the States when yeah, you had just and, gotten the London. And law. I met
0: you like the, maybe the day after you came back and you were in a situation in the States where you had, what, you were home for a week and you had to decide, am I going to go back to a country that I've never lived in and instead of... Having a path laid out for me that I thought I was going to have. Am I going to go back and live in this country and figure everything out from scratch? And you totally did that thing. And I was so blown away and impressed by the way that you stood up for yourself and were like, yeah, I thought this was going to be different, but it's not. And I'm going to be a boss bitch and figure this out for myself. And you so did that.
2: Oh, thanks, Austin. <laughs> well,
0: I think—I mean, I think the part of this is that, like, we—I I think we all need the support and validation and like reminders from people that we are bigger than who we think we are. And even if you didn't feel in the moment that you were making like a huge inspirational move, and I'm sure you weren't doing it to be an inspiration, you were just trying to scrape by and do the best that you could. But it absolutely is inspiring.
1: I mean, I know I've talked a lot, but I wanted to jump in too because the thing that you expressed about sort of being a workhorse and being in the background and being okay to be that person, I think through even what Austin just said, it, the thought I have is like this concept of being born with confidence or gaining confidence, you know, competence is this amorphous thing we're not really sure where it comes from or how to keep it or why we lose it. But I also feel like you're a very great example of somebody who's born with confidence that's there for the harvesting, but maybe had been laid dormant for whatever reason, and other people can see it in you. We can see your leadership. We can understand how brave you are, maybe even before you do. And I I think that's part of maybe even this whole multi-hyphenate umbrella is kind of this leap of faith into your own Knowing that you just need to make it happen for yourself, then you'll figure it out. You're going to Google campaign manager and you're going to show up to work the next day with some (laughs) folders. And I think that harkens back to the imposter syndrome, which was the topic of conversation amongst us previously that it feels like you embody pieces of it so well. And from the outside looking in, we're all like, badass bitch alert. And you're like, I don't know, I'm shaking.
3: What'd you say I
1: blacked out? I don't know.
3: Uh, that's even, that's funny because even in asking me to do this podcast I'm like (laughs) you guys mentioned like oh you're a director like what what do you need a life coach for or a you know a work coach for and I'm like I'm Uh a director of a startup that has Mm -hmm. like five people so (laughs) (laughs) let's not get too hype about what director means but so I definitely am always kind of trying to downplay and it's not necessary. it is a little bit of the imposter syndrome, but I also, to your point, Austin, yeah, I, I mentioned the confidence piece of it all because that's a big part of, I think, what has been my career trajectory. And I was on a call with somebody, it was a political fundraiser, and I asked her when she made her transition from corporate to politics, like if she had to read some like books to get her confidence or did she have some mantras or was she, you know, listening to like leadership or I'm a boss, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, talks and Ted what talks inspirational quote. Did she have on her mirror? Exactly. And <laughs> she was like, no, she was like, I had the confidence and, and you have the confidence too. She said, I don't know you. And I know you have the confidence just, just based on like, just your persona. I know you have the confidence and you probably have a lot more confidence than you think you do. And she also mentioned about some of the confidence that you get. Is it confidence that you get from a particular win or experience, but it's about overcoming hardships and building that strength in yourself. To your point, Austin, that moment in my life where I had, I, in that moment, I was not being brave. I just was like, listen, this is an opportunity to live abroad. I already done, quit my job left my apartment. Why not stay here and figure this out? I'm in school. Who knows what will happen in the next year if I postpone this opportunity? Like, Who knows what will happen? So if I don't do it now, I may never do it. This could just be the time for me to find myself a little bit, you know, I'm very close with my family. I'm very close with my friends. And I feel like all of those hold a piece of my identity. And so I felt like this was going to be an opportunity for me to learn myself and to be with myself. And in that I did come out on the other side of it so much stronger and so much more confident because not only did I stick up for myself because my entire family was like, (laughs) you need to bring your ass home. But (laughs) I also did finish my master's program, did find housing, did work three jobs, talk about (laughs) multi-hyphenate and, you know, make sure that I could. And I, and I got out on the other side of that. And I feel like that when she said that to me, it really resonated because I was like, even in this position I have now and the fear that I had, I'm like, if I can do that, I can do this. I know that I have it in me to do.
2: And I'd be curious now that you're at the place where you are looking back at all the hardships and the overcoming, like I've also been early in my career in a pretty toxic workplace. And I really needed like leaving that place. I had it really destroyed my confidence. And it took a while for me to come back and be like, no, my voice is uh, worth hearing despite what everybody told me for so long. I'd be curious to know like what you wish you would have known earlier on in your career to be at the place where you're at now.
3: Definitely be kinder to yourself. That's one I would tell everybody every day, especially in these times. But my biggest takeaway is that people really aren't that smart. (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I love that so much people really aren't that smart and I have put people up on pedestals and I have you know I've been nervous to have conversations with people and then you do and you're like that was so disappointing I thought you were a really (laughs) smart person and I could do that like I could do this job or like you know maybe I need to meet another year or two like I'm not gonna be it you know, I'm not gonna be dumb about it, but like, and not say that I could like go and take my CEO's job, but I see a lot of flaws. A lot of the time on that people that I, you know, are holding these big positions and making big money are doing. And I'm like, I can do this. People are not as smart. And I, Michelle Obama said it in her book, people ask, you know, what, what is your biggest takeaway from your experience? And she was like, people just aren't as smart as you, like anybody can be a world leader reach for the stars because literally like half of what you need is confidence so that mm-hmm. i think that would be my takeaway and i think that would kind of have broken down some of those walls like earlier on because i had so many people on pedestals and i looked up to so many people for so long and i felt like i was in so many people's shadows when i could have been the one stepping up into the light because I had just as much knowledge as anybody else did.
1: I love that for so many reasons, the honesty, but also because for me, when you're saying that smart is almost like a stand in for like pretension or supposed experience being the reason why someone's going to be good at something just because you have an education in a certain space does not get mean you're going to be a leader there and I love the idea of kind of you know breaking it down to the basic level of just smarts. because we get so scared I think like even you're making me think of like right now I work with a lot of pe- Ivy League degree people a lot of people that just it feels like oh God, you are so smart and you're so well-read and you're so... And they are. And a lot of these people are great. And I don't know that I would be like, oh, you're not as smart as you think you are. But I do think there's times when I felt like, guys, we have the answers. We have the resources. We can figure this out. There's no magic idea fairy. All ideas are going to be bad until they're proven good and
3: all possibilities are out there until we decide on what we're going to do. Even to that point, I'm even like some of the people with all the pedigree and all the life experience and stuff, sometimes I feel like they make it more difficult. It's like, okay, I might be simple, but let me give you this simple plan as to how we can get this mm-hmm. done instead of doing X, Y, and Z, which just is going to be a waste of everybody's time and probably isn't going to work. <laughs> like it just, y- you have, you have the tools. Like most people have the tools already and don't need the Harvard or the whatever on the back of their name. And
1: or if they do, it's kind of like the confidence thing too, right? right? Like there's people that are smart without needing to have gone to Harvard. You can go to Harvard and it right. doesn't necessarily mean that you have all the answers now. But I think there's kind of that duality and that holisticness. And maybe it's born out of the newsroom because I've thought of that job so often, almost in the opposite way where I got there and I was like, fresh out of college, like all these ideas, critical theory, social justice, you know, reading all different kinds of philosophers. And you're in this space where I'm talking to people. And I was like, holy God, have you read a book? <laughs> I'm like, how long has it right. been? But also slowly growing an appreciation for how are they smart? How are they a resource to me or to the job or to the experience? And trying to kind of break down my own yeah. prejudice of like, I'm smart
3: because I went to college because I... Right. I know a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that did not go to college, for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. The other point to that, when you mentioned, be, you were mentioning like being a good leader and a bit good, that one thing I realized in this experience is my flaws. The one flaw that I have realized in myself is that I need to work on my management skills. I might be a leader, but I need to work on like actually leading people and how I manage because I am one, impatient. And two, if somebody's not doing something right, I'd rather just do like, I will have a thousand things on my plate and I'll be like, I'll just do do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't want you to do it anymore. (laughs) I'll I'll just do it. Like you're not going to get it done the way I need it to get done. And that is a major flaw. Like one, I need to have the patience to be able to work with this person to get it done. But two, I need to be able to trust people to get the work done and I need to allow them to have the opportunity to fail and, you know, get back up and try again versus taking the opportunity away. And be Like, nope, I'll just do it myself. You suck.
2: I was going to say, I'm trying to think of the times that there have been many times where I was like, oh man, you just don't want to teach me how to do this because it would take too long, right? <laughs> like, is that what it is?
0: <laughs> so I'm just wondering if you have any advice. I mean, you've clearly done many things. I'm wondering if you have any go-to advice for people who are trying to get into any of the things that you have done or are doing now.
3: I think the interesting thing that I've I've realized in my experience and all the experiences that I've had, because one thing I will say, and I've actually never talked about this. But when I came back after my situation in London for that week where (laughs) I was forced to come back to the USA and decide what I was going to do, my connections with my previous job in news actually connected me with a news organization in Atlanta, where I was, I went and stayed with my cousin, you know, within like days they were offering me a position. And so it was like, oh, well I could stay here and take this position and that'd be awesome. Or I could go back to London and go on this adventure with a lot of unknowns, super, super scary. And I obviously ended up doing the latter, but all that to say, everything that I've done has been who I knew. Like I've never, and I, and I don't know if this, I don't know how this makes me sound. I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, but I've never like looked for jobs on Indeed or, you know, on LinkedIn, like everything has been a reference. And so I feel like in looking for jobs, it really is about making the best of your circle of the people you know of your resources if you're in college and getting out this is a really hard time but we obviously graduated in a really hard time too in the middle of the depression which I feel like also I didn't speak on but I feel like is why so many of us are multi-hyphenates because you know that that career trajectory was like not an option for us when we graduated But I definitely feel like people just need to make the most of the people that are in their circles, the people who have the positions, getting out of their comfort zone, talking to people, going to networking events, and putting themselves in those situations to meet the people who make decisions.
0: For sure. I was actually just having a conversation with my husband like a a week ago, and I don't think he listens to the podcast, so (laughs) I'm I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) airing our dirty laundry. But, you know, I'm not working right now, the way that I was before. And I think it's really stressing him out. And he was like, why aren't you looking for work? And just like you said, and I don't know if this also makes me sound like an asshole, but like, I don't look for work. I have never looked for work in that traditional way, because I really also haven't done a ton of jobs that people post listings for on monster.com Wait, Is that still a website i, <laughs> I think so i myself. don't know i don't think so um no <laughs> but what i have been doing endlessly since the quarantine started is putting in facetime with my connections that i have and even new connections like my realtor or whoever i'm coming across i'm creating connections with these people that can potentially turn into jobs and just historically for me that has been how i find work right and you know this will be a fun time capsule six months from now when <laughs> <laughs> i'm homeless you're gonna be really eating those words then turns out that didn't work at all That's
3: funny.
0: I, I hope it does uh Still
1: widening the networks yeah.
0: <laughs> but that i think that is excellent advice i mean not one specific thing of like, you know, I, I don't know how you get into one thing that I've done in like a specific soundbite kind of way. But I've gotten into everything that I've done by trying to keep myself open to meeting new people and having conversations and just being open to letting those things come to me. And I think that's sort of a skill in itself.
3: And it's even the conversations that you don't necessarily, that you wouldn't necessarily have and you don't necessarily think will get you anywhere. Like it's not necessarily about going to, you know, the networking event and finding someone and talking about a job because you're there to talk about a job. It's about just talking to people. Like if you're at a friend's gathering and there's people there that you don't know, talk to those people, know about what they do. They may be a contact for you. Like my friend right now just hit me up and was like, like, hey, um, you know, my boyfriend wants to leave his job. Don't you have a friend that works for X, Y, and Z? And I was like, yeah, I do. They both work in HR. Give me his resume and I'll put it through. But those are the things that actually like push you forward. And I mean, again, like I said, I I don't know if that's for all industries. In most of the industries, the easiest way to get in.
2: Well, and you made a great point about you know, talking, I think there's a lot of times we hear, oh, you need to find a mentor, or you need to look to almost like people who are in senior leadership, but that peer-to-peer group is invaluable of finding in your network, like you don't know who's going to get promoted, who might know someone in HR, or who just might know of an opportunity that you could get into. And so I really love how you put that together, because exactly, I don't think, you know, I, I networking can have such a slime to it but really it's just creating connections talking to people and exactly I've gotten work when Mallory and I both got laid off a few years ago that's how I got at least two to three different jobs right away clients right away because I just happened to mention like oh yeah I'm doing my own thing now like oh great I was at a friend's birthday party and we're both reaching for sushi And all of a sudden I have a new client because I mentioned that I'm looking for work. Like you just never know where it's going to happen.
3: Exactly. And not being, not feeling like vulnerable about it, you know, and not feeling bad about your whatever circumstances you have, but putting yourself out there. It's like getting out of your own way.
1: That's what I was going to say is like the bow that ties all this up is almost that latent confidence that we've been alluding to you having, but also that I think just is in people and kind of almost understanding that maybe even if you don't identify as this self-confident extrovert, who's going to just toss it all out there to know that it's still okay to just ask other people questions. Like you said, what do you do? How do you make a living? Where do where are you from? And kind of getting to know your peers, like you said, Catherine. So that if you gain the confidence or have the confidence, like then you never know. You might need to be reaching out for a job or reaching out to them on someone else's behalf. And they're grateful to you because you've connected them with their really awesome new coordinator, assistant, or maybe even their director of, you know.
0: I just want to thank you so much, Brittany, for being our first guest. You are an inspiration to me and I'm so glad that we could hear pieces of your story and just hear your perspective on things. Cause I think you have a unique voice and an important one. So thank you so much for doing this with us.
2: Thank you. All right. Thanks team. And thank you everyone for listening. That was such a great episode with Brittany. Um, please do head to our social media and also, don't forget to rate and subscribe. That means a lot to us. And you will find us here next week.
0: Thanks, guys.
2: Bye, everybody.